This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon everyone. We continue our series this month on the parables of Jesus. As you can see, or has been announced, this deals particularly with the parable of the sower. I would suggest probably, if well, very well-known parable, probably the most uh, well-known of all Jesus' parables. And Keith mentioned uh, in his opening prayer how uh, this has relevance today just as it did 2,000 years ago. I would even go further, I'd agree with you, but I'd even go further than that. So it's probably got more relevance today than it had in the time of Jesus. We'll perhaps see that a little bit later on. <clears throat> it's recorded for us in three of the Gospels. It's not in Gospel of John, <clears throat> but it's in Matthew, Mark and Luke. But we're going to mainly concentrate uh, around Matthew 13. But we could have taken really any of the other uh, two um, Gospels because the record differs very little. And really what you can see there is um, Jesus is speaking around Galilee in northern Israel, the Sea of Galilee. And um, you probably can't see them all, but there are about nine, nine towns or cities really uh, around that Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it says there in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1 uh, that on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, by the Sea of Galilee. We mentioned yesterday, I think, about the population of Ormskirk, and somebody suggested it was between 40 and 50,000 inhabitants here in Ormskirk. Uh, but I've read that uh, in each of these nine cities, there were at least 15,000 people in each city, at least 15,000. So that means there were at least 145,000 people in those cities surrounding the Sea of Galilee, probably three times the uh, number of the population of, of Ormskirk. So it's a, a vast number. Now the Sea of Galilee is that body there that you can see, it's about 8 miles wide and it's 13 miles long and it was renowned very much for the fishing industry but it was also renowned for another industry, that's agriculture. And so what you often find of course is that when Jesus spoke in parables he spoke of things that the people could see <clears throat> and relate to. And so that's why he talks about uh, fishing and agriculture in his, in his parables. I'm not sure how many of those 145 or plus thousand were actually there, but clearly there was a great multitude, we're told. Because it says there, great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, <coughs> excuse me, and he spoke many things to them in parables. So clearly what Jesus is doing here, because of the throng, because of the crowd, uh, it necessitated Jesus to use a boat as his preaching platform so that he wouldn't be swamped by, by the throng and as he speaks to them it prompts a question from his disciples you can see it there why do you speak to them in parables the disciples ask Jesus and he answers them and says because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given and then he goes on and he, he's, he's speaking here from uh, he's quoting from Isaiah's prophecy and he's saying the hearts of this people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing 
and their eyes have been closed. Um, he goes on in that 13th chapter that we've just read. Uh, their eyes have closed, that at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But then Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes, the disciples, for they see and your ears, for they hear. And so what we can see is that the humble-hearted store these things that Jesus was saying in their mind and its meaning is understood. The critical, the prejudiced and those who were opposed to Jesus by their very attitude they do not take the lessons to heart that he was teaching. They reject his word. And of such were his implacable enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees, but also those who, well, simply could not be bothered to try and understand. They closed their ears, their eyes and their minds. And so Jesus, as we said, uses the main occupations of the, re of the region uh, to provide his lessons. In the same chapter, it's not our subject tonight, but in the same chapter we can read of uh, the parable of the dragnet. Because it's, fishing was the main industry around uh, the Sea of Galilee. So the people would relate to what he was saying. And he said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Which when it was full they drew to shore, they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be, Jesus says at the end of the age, there will be a separation that's not our subject so we'll go back to the parable of the sower we read that a sower went out to sow his seed and the seed fell upon four different types of ground which you see there some fell by the wayside some on stony ground some amongst thorns and finally and lastly some fell on fertile soil on good good ground the ones that fell by the wayside were devoured by the birds. Um, but eventually we see that uh, we'll go through each one of these, these in turn. But it's important to know, we'll just quote it from Mark now, Mark's record, that the, the seed is the word of God. The sower sows the word and the seed is the word of God. And it's in James' letter in chapter 1 there that says, Wherefore, James says, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted seed, which is able to save your souls. That being so then, the varying conditions of ground are used as the various types of human nature into which the seed is sown. And that's the exhortation we've just read of in James about the implanted word notice at this point I would suggest there is no enlightenment from within light doesn't come from within us as it says there this is Paul writing I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells human nature by its very constitution is devoid of good we can go on and read in the prophet Jeremiah the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and again in Mark chapter 7 there is nothing that enters from outside which can defile him all uh, defilement comes from within so enlightenment must come from without and that's the word of God that's the seed that has been sown as we said the things that uh, are entering a man from outside that which can defile him but the things which come out of a man those are the things which defile a man so we must have meekness to recognise this 
um, and receiving with meekness the implanted word. So the first type of ground then that we've seen is that which fell by the wayside. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds devoured them. This is the seed which tends to land, uh, sorry, this is where most of the seed tends to land when the word of God is preached by the wayside. You can imagine the sower, we saw a picture of him earlier on, he's, he's throwing the seed out, he's trying to reach the extremities of the field uh, to be fruitful. Inevitably some is going to uh, fall on the wayside, that's the paths around the field which are trodden down so hard that the seed does not penetrate uh, and therefore cannot germinate and grow. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. And in Paul's letter to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it's termed in another way, whose minds the God of this world has blinded. Matthew talks about the wicked one. Uh, Paul talks about the God of this world uh, who has blinded men's hearts, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The second area that we see in the parable of the sower was the seed fell on stony ground. As it says there, there's not much earth and therefore a root does not take place. Reading from Matthew 13, our introductory reading, some fell on stony ground where they did not have much earth and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. A similar principle was taught by uh, Jude, the writer in his letter, enlightening such a class of people as being shooting stars, he says, uh, shining very brightly to begin with, but which burn themselves out very, very quickly. And again, the same letter, he speaks of uh, them as the, uh, that type of person as raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame. And you can just imagine great and mighty waves of the sea, very powerful, but when they come to the shoreline, they die out. They, they start with a swelling growth, but disappear to absolutely nothing at the last. And this is typical of the word, the seed that falls on stony ground. And those, are likened, those people who are like this are, are likened to that at stony ground. We can read that Israel of old had stony hearts. Oh, sorry, I've, I've missed a slide here. He who received the word in stony places is he who hears the word immediately receives it with joy like a shooting star has no root endures for a while but it's when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately he stumbles Zechariah that I was talking about the children of Israel of old were like this we read there they made their hearts <coughs> like flint refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets but prophet says that the day will come when Israel will have a change of heart they will have a new disposition so Ezekiel's prophecy says this is God speaking I will give them one heart and will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and again later on in that same prophecy 
Then, God says, then the children of Israel shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the, gra- call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields. So they go from a stony heart to one that God will give them a heart of flesh uh, and he will prosper them. Even today, this is the same class of people who have stony hearts. Their very nature of what they are prevents the word from developing and growing. They might initially receive the word with great enthusiasm and their zeal quickly diminishes as soon as hardships come. Here men that trust in their own riches to save themselves fade away under the heat of the sun and the trials of life. Again, speaking more generally, uh, we can read in Peter's letter he says all flesh is like grass and the glory of man is the flower of grass the grass withereth the flower thereof fadeth away but the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you the third area uh, in which the sea falls the word of God is amongst thorns and thorns choke the word choke the fruit through the cares of this world the principle here is that the ground has to be prepared and the thorns have to be removed before fruit can be developed and here we see the principles of this aspect of the parable of the sower thorny ground cannot yield fruit for the thorns grow up and choke the developing seed even so the seed when it falls upon uh, ground having thorns it will quickly perish Strangled by the thorns. And when I said right at the beginning, I made the comment that this parable, I believe, is as relevant or more relevant today than it was 2,000 years ago. How much more are the cares of this world than they were 2,000 years ago? Imagine the simple farmers and fishermen of the day. Yeah, yeah, they had their cares and their worries and their trials and tribulations, but I would suggest nothing in comparison with the cares of this world which can take us away from the word of God. And so we see in Matthew 13, some fell among thorns, the thorns sprang up and choked them. And the interpretation of that, Jesus says, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. As I was saying, the hustle and bustle of today's society, many things cry out for our attention, which can make God and His Word a secondary place in our lives, can do. So that's why it's important, this parable in our day. But finally, we see in the uh, final uh, type of ground and the final type of heart, if you like, uh, the seed falls into fertile ground, uh, and that um, translates into those that hear and receive the word and bring forth fruit others fell on good ground and yielded a crop so out of the four types of ground only one is the fertile ground which uh, bring, forth, bring forth fruit and there we see uh, the final part of that, last, of that chapter Jesus says he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, 
and some 30. In another chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, again Jesus says, you will know them, that's those who hear the word, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Of course not. Or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. And so we see that the, the references that we see in this passage, men's hearts that compare with this good ground are those that have an understanding of the gospel preached to them. In our day, the importance of this doctrine is often dismissed uh, by as being of little practical value, but this was not the case with the Apostle Paul. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul speaks of his desire for the believers then, that their hearts, he writes, may be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. And that was the key. It's not about receiving the word, accepting it, and then doing nothing. It's about understanding that word, as well as accepting and receiving it. Understanding gives us the full assurance of the things of God, so that we can trust in him for all things. And again elsewhere, the same Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians, he exhorts the believers to have a mature understanding. He writes, brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in mice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Be grown up and understand the word that's been implanted. A good ground therefore is fertile soil for the seed to grow and to flourish. A fertile mind will permit unrestricted growth. But the maintenance of the ground needs diligent work. To keep the mind free from the thorns, the cares of this life in other words, is a lifelong struggle. It's not a one-off. It's an effort that shall be rewarded, Jesus says, with life eternal in due course. Often this aspect of bearing fruit is dealt with in a well, sometimes in a woolly way, without there being any specific definition of what the phrase means. But the scriptures are clear. Consider Messiah's teaching. We say there, you will know them by their fruits. Here the fruits are characteristic by which a tree is known. The production of grapes grows from the plant to be, a, sorry, the production of grapes shows the plant to be a vine. And good fruit shows the nature of the tree to be good. Likewise, a corrupt tree will not bear usable fruit, being worthy only of being cut down. There are therefore characteristics or fruit produced by the disciples of Jesus which demonstrate his discipleship. The nature of the tree, in other words, is what we're looking at. This is the fruit developed from the sowing of the word. Like a plant growing in fertile soil, even so the word, when sown into men's hearts, is capable of flourishing and yielding fruits and hundredfold. So, we see the parable here of the sower uh, encapsulated on, on one slide. We see that there are <coughs> four states of heart, in other words, into which the seed is sown. The conditions are hostile in three of those. Um, and so we see, in that case, by the wayside, when the seed falls on the wayside, these are those who are unresponsive, just like the untrodden path, the hard-packed ground. Seed cannot grow here. 
Some receive the word quickly and enthusiastically, as in the stony ground, but do not maintain their interest. When trials come, it is found that God's word has no deep root. This is the stony ground. In this case, others have full possibilities of an abundant yield, but the mind is preoccupied with other interests, so that the spiritual life is choked by the cares of this world, the thorns. But, for the true disciple of Jesus Christ, the word falls into good ground and is heard, understood and accepted. So then these are the four types of men's hearts described in this parable. Only we can answer which type we are or which type we would like to be perhaps. So what should our response be to the seed that has been sown? Well we have to bear in mind that uh, in John's Gospel in chapter 1 we read there that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. If therefore we reject the word and don't hear it and accept it, then we reject Christ and we reject all the promises that have been made through him. Just as, the, uh, just as Israel did before. We can read in Psalm 118 there, the stone which the builders rejected, they rejected um, God uh, and he's saying the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That was a prophecy. In actual fact, in Acts chapter 4, this is uh, Peter's words. He's saying, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye cru you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter had just made a lame man whole. He made him well. And it was through the Lord Jesus, or the name of the Lord Jesus, that Peter was able to make this man well. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. So the prophecy in the Psalms there is being fulfilled. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Rejecting Christ is rejecting God's word, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter goes on in Acts chapter 2 to say, God hath made that same Jesus, the word of life, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, that's the people to whom Peter was speaking, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's reply Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Baptism is not our subject and it will be spoken about from this platform I'm sure many times. But that is acceptance of the word. That is acceptance of the seed into good ground. Accepting, understanding but then obedience by being baptised into the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Our final slide is this time from the Apostle Paul, just to conclude. We said that you reject the word, you reject Christ, and you reject the promises that have been made. Paul writes there in Galatians in chapter 3, For as many as of you have been baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. These are the ones who have accepted the word, sorry, understood it, accepted it, and acted upon it. 
by being baptized. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no discrimination. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor free female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's descendant. Abraham's seed, it says in the King James Version. And heirs according to the promise. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.